Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about faith. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to let you know about what's happening at our church this summer. Due to COVID-19 and everything surrounding it, our services have moved outside. God has blessed our church with an incredible seven acres in North Wilsonville, and someday we'll have a building there. But in the meantime, it's a perfect solution for us to have church during all that's going on in our world. We would love to have you join us. And so if you want the information about what our services look like this summer, you can go to wilsonville.church slash property gathering. That's wilsonville.church slash property gathering. We would love for you to join us for one of these outdoor services. They're going to be fun. They're going to be different. It's going to be an exciting summer. And so we hope that you'll consider joining us. We'd love to meet you in person. Again, thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon. I really do hope that it will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Good morning, everybody. I am Chad. I'm the pastor of this church, and I'm so cold I'm shaking. Thank you. Wow. Um, nobody ever does that, but I appreciate it. Uh, I am very cold, and so if you see my teeth chattering, you'll know why that is. Um, today, uh, we're going to look at a story that I think is really important from the Gospel of Luke. And uh, before we get to that, I want to say that there was this album that I loved when I first became serious about my Christian faith at 17 years old. And some of you might remember this album. Uh, anybody remember the, the band Sonic Flood? Uh, I, I, their first album, the pink one, if that rings a bell to any of you. Uh, I loved that album. It had the song... Uh, I could sing of your love forever. That was uh, maybe the the biggest hit. Uh, I don't really like saying that about Christian music, but uh, that might have been their biggest one. Um, but the another song on that album was really important to me, and uh, maybe you've heard this song. I think we've sung it here before, but it, it its course goes like this: Holiness, holiness is what I long for. Holiness is what I need. Holiness, holiness is what you want from me. And then you sing faithfulness, faithfulness, brokenness, brokenness. And I used to add, I'm pretty sure uh, that I used to add righteousness, righteousness. I just, uh, if you ask my wife, she'll tell you that I don't really care what the lyrics are that people wrote. If I think something's better about any song, then I'll just, I'll just sing that. And, and so I, I sang all of those things, but there's the, I just thought about this this week. There's this thing that isn't in this song that you don't ask God for in this song. And it's a thing that, uh, that I think we just don't ask God for enough. And really it's because we don't care enough about having uh, this attribute in our lives. And that is thankfulness. I mean, even if you just replace those lyrics with thankfulness, it almost feels a little bit odd. Like thankfulness, thankfulness is what I long for. Thankfulness is what I need. Thankfulness, thankfulness is what you want from me. I don't know if it's just me, but almost it almost feels like not so spiritual. Like it feels just like something you would say on Thanksgiving and no other time in your life at all. In fact, I've told you this before, but uh, once a year on Thanksgiving, and I should do this more given what I'm about to talk about in this sermon, but uh, once a year on Thanksgiving, I'll, I'll, I'll try to pray without asking God for anything. I'll just say thank you. Just thank you, God, for this and thank you for this. And, you know, I'll go down... The list, and I find it really hard to do. It's like, hey, th- God, thank you for my kids, but also, you know, please keep them safe and, you know, help me to be a good. Oh, it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm just trying to be thankful right now. I, I think that we minimize the importance of thankfulness 
in our spiritual lives. And what we're going to see in the story from the Gospel of Luke today uh, about faith is, is that thanks and faith are really interconnected. They, they go together, and it's important that we are thankful if we're going to live a life of faith. We're doing this series on faith, not just having it, but living it out. And we're doing that in the Gospel of Luke. And there's all these stories where Jesus, where Jesus talks about faith, usually because he's looking around and he's seeing people either live out great faith or not have a lot of faith or do something that isn't very faithful or whatever. And then Jesus says some words about faith and we learn a great deal. And in the story we're going to look at today, we learn about the connection of faith and thanks. Here's how it starts in Luke 17, 11 through 13. Now on his way to Jerusalem... Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now here Luke probably gives the geographical location of where this takes place because Jesus is headed to Jerusalem and Luke wants us to remember exactly why Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. Jesus is headed to Jerusalem in order to suffer and die for the sins of the world. As Christians, here's what we believe. We believe that God saw that we were sinners who were separated from him And instead of just staying in heaven and condemning us to an eternity in hell, God came from heaven to earth in the person of Jesus. He left the glories of heaven and he came to this earth with all of its problems and all of its struggles. And he lived a perfectly sinless life while he lived on this earth. And after 30 years, he began doing ministry, going around the known Jerusalem Jewish world and and preaching and, and teaching and healing and doing miracles and uh, doing incredible things, really. And at the end of those three years, Jesus willingly walked into Jerusalem in order that he would suffer and die on a cross. He would pay for our sins on that cross. In fact, he would pay the price of hell. And he did it all because he loves us so much that he wanted us to be able to enter into a relationship with him through faith. And it is exactly then that we meet the 10 people struggling with leprosy, who have leprosy, who are calling out to Jesus. He is headed, Jesus is headed to die that horrible death on a cross when these 10 men approach him. Now, why is that important? I think just because it makes it more incredible. Have you ever had anything really hard coming up in your future? Uh, And, and, Somebody just tries to talk to you about something that seems so meaningless or inconsequential. It's like, don't you know what I'm about to do? Don't you know what I'm about to handle right now? And that's exactly what Jesus is facing. But Jesus, Jesus still takes time to interact with these people. In fact, as we'll see in a minute, to heal these people. Leprosy is a skin disease, one that I'm sure made these people physically miserable, but uh, you know, even you know, more difficult in my mind in some ways is that it made them social outcasts. Similar to the woman who was bleeding that we talked about last week, uh, this leprosy would have made them social outcasts. They couldn't have been with other people. In Luke, in, not Luke, in Leviticus 13, 45 and, and through 46, we read of this law that was in Israel at the time of Jesus. And here's what it says. Anyone with a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, Let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower parts of their face and cry out, unclean, unclean. 
As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. As long as they, ha- and that's it, sorry. Uh, that's it. So listen to this. Listen to the situation. These 10 men living with are struggling my own. Could be a cable. Getting a look. Okay. Just try not to bump it. I won't move. I'm just going to hold really still and talk to you. Uh, these 10 men are living their lives. They're living their lives having to walk around yelling unclean, unclean whenever they come close to any other people. Can you imagine living like that? And this is, in fact, probably the reason that they have to yell out to Jesus uh, that they want pity. They can't get next to Jesus. Apparently, they know something of his ability to heal, his ability to do miracles. They understand his power. They have hope that he is the one who can bring them healing but they stay at a distance. They've heard some things about Jesus, but apparently they haven't heard what happened in Luke 5, 12 and 13. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean, and immediately the leprosy left him. Jesus has, has been around at least one person before this with leprosy, and he reached out his hand and touched him. Jesus showed this other man with leprosy, I will not be separated from you. I will enter into your world. I will have pity on you. But these men, they stay at a distance, and they cry out to Jesus, please, please have pity on us. Now, pity is an interesting word because I think in our language, the way we use it is almost negative, right? Like when I think of pity, I think of, of saying to somebody else, don't have, you know, don't pity me, right? Like that's how we use it. But the Greek word that translates pity is, is a better word. It means to have the desire of relieving the miserable. And that manifests itself in doing so if somebody is able. So let me give you an example here in our church. We, we in this sense, we pity kids who are entering into the foster care system, who are going into foster care, who have to be separated from their parents. And so, because we, we pity them in this way, uh, we want to relieve that suffering. And we don't have the ability to end you know, the need for foster care everywhere, to adopt every kid or anything like that. So, you know, as a church, that's not a possibility for us. But we have chosen to do certain things in order to, to help, we create welcome boxes that go to kids that uh, are waiting to go into the foster system or come out of the foster system. We've supplied blankets as a church to those kids so that they can have some comfort. We came up with the idea to supply actual backpacks when we did those boxes so that kids you know, would have the ability to carry around their stuff. We have volunteers who serve at something called Foster Parent Night Out in our community so that foster parents can go out and grocery shop and go on a date or whatever they need to do. And so we've done what we can do in order to relieve the misery that these kids feel as they're going into this kind of scary situation. When these people ask for pity, they're they're recognizing that they need Jesus to care about their suffering, and Jesus does care about their suffering. And unlike us at a church, Jesus' ability to heal and to help is, is not finite, it's infinite. And so here's what we read next in Luke 17, 14. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. It's weird, right? Like Jesus 
doesn't immediately heal them. He just says, go show yourselves to the priest. Like such a weird kind of part of this story. But we see the reason why also in Leviticus when it's talking about skin diseases. In Leviticus 14, 2 and 3, it says, these are the regulations for any diseased person at the time of their ceremonial cleansing. When they are brought to the priest, the priest is to go outside the camp and examine them. If they've been healed of their defiling skin disease, and then it goes on to talk about the offerings and sacrifices they're supposed to make. So the thing with the priest is, they are the ones in charge of determining if somebody is actually cleansed or not. If somebody can stop walking around and having to yell, unclean, unclean, and, and having to avoid all the people and all of those things. And so Jesus, in essence, is saying, go to the priest so that they can declare you clean. And then on the way there, he heals them. Basically, when he sends them to the priest, he's guaranteeing that they will be healed. But I want you to take note of just how awesome this is, that Jesus sends them away unclean, unhealed of this defiling skin disease, and then on the way there, he actually heals them. I think that is incredible, and it goes back to something I said last week. It isn't about, it is about, excuse me, it is about the strength of your God and not the size of your faith. We have a God, we serve a God if we are Christians that can do miracles, that doesn't have to be right next to you in a physical sense to heal you of all of the things that you struggle with and you suffer with. We serve a God who is much bigger than your problems. And we serve a God, as we sang about last week, who is working even when you can't see it. He is working even when you can't feel it. We serve an incredible God, and that is what makes our faith worth it. But if you're a Christian, you even believe something you know, bigger than this and better than this. If you're a Christian, you believe not only that God can heal you and cleanse you from everything, but that eventually he will heal and cleanse you from everything. In Revelation 21, 4, it says, this about our eternity in heaven. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. If you believe the story I told you earlier that Jesus came from heaven to earth to die for sins and he did that so that if you enter into a faith in him, you can have a relationship with him, then you believe that someday... You will live an eternity in heaven where there will be no more of these problems that we face here on earth. That is an incredible gift. And part of living a life of faith simply means that you believe that these things will get better. That someday we'll be healed of all of this. Someday we'll be cleansed of all of the suffering and the pain that we have while we walk on this earth. And if that's true for you, if you are a Christian who believes that, then you need to pay attention to what happens next in this story. But likewise, I think if you're not a Christian, and you're not a Christian because maybe somewhere in the back of your minds, you don't believe that Jesus would ever want a person like you to enter into a faith. Maybe you're a person who thinks you've done too many bad things. You've done too many sinful things. You've rejected God for too long. If God knows your past, this is what you think, then there's no way that God will ever allow me to have a faith that will ultimately result in my healing and cleansing. If you're a person like that, then you also need to pay attention to what happens next in the story because it's written for you. It's written for Christians who believe that they will be healed and cleansed and it's written for those of you who think you are too far away for God to be gracious to you. Here's what it says in verses 15 through 19. One of them 
when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. There's only one who turned back out of the ten to thank Jesus, and it was the Samaritan. Samaritans were a a group of people who lived in Samaria, which is an area north of Jerusalem. They descended from the Jewish people, but when the Assyrians took over the northern kingdom of Israel in 721 BC, the Samaritan people intermarried with the Assyrians, which which made them scum of the earth in many Jewish people's minds. Uh, in fact, I read, uh, I read this week that they would have been described as half-breeds and heretics by many of the Jews who lived during the time of Jesus. Half-breeds because they had intermarried with the Assyrians and, and heretics because they had a, a unique scripture, they had a unique theology, they had a unique system of worship. They did not believe the things that Jews and us believe to be true in certain areas of how you know, they thought of God and the way that God interacted with people. And so here are these people despised by the Jews that Jesus is hanging out with, that Jesus was. And this is the one person that comes back and falls at Jesus' feet and thanks him. Uh, Jesus asked a series of questions in response to this, but perhaps this one is most important. Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? There was this sign written on a limestone uh, block in the temple of Jerusalem that used the same exact word, foreigner. And, And this is what it said. Let no foreigner enter within the screen and enclosure surrounding the sanctuary. In other words, no foreigner get this close to the presence of God. And what Jesus describes here is something so magnificently different than that, right? Here is the foreigner accepting God through faith when the other people really weren't because they chose not, not because they chose not, but they didn't come back because they had not chosen to receive Jesus in faith. In this one single moment, Jesus is showing the people that that there is no right type of person, there is no right uh, nationality, there is no right race, there is no right gender, there is no right background as far as life and sinfulness goes. All people now are able to come to a faith because Jesus came and chose to walk the earth. He chose to come and walk the earth and then he chose to die for sins and come back to life. He came back to life and it it points to this incredible fact that no matter who you are or where you've come from or what you have done, you now can come into a relationship with God through placing your faith in Jesus. I know without a doubt that there are some people who don't become Christians, not because they don't believe the story of Christianity to be true, but because they believe that they are not good enough or right enough or you know from the right family or whatever it might be. And so they just live their lives outside of faith only because they have not recognized stories like this in Scripture that even the Samaritans can enter into a relationship with God through faith. And if you fall into that category, then I need you to understand today 
that because Jesus came, lived, and died, and rose again, you can now come into a relationship with God through faith. It doesn't matter who you are or what you have done. Jesus is for everyone. That's what this story says. Jesus is for everyone, including you. Some website article said it this way, The Samaritan's return allows Jesus to demonstrate that no one, not a leper or a Samaritan, is beyond God's mercy. Anyone can experience God's salvation with, with shouts of joy for it, praise and praise God for it. For me, I'd say it like this, even somebody like me can be saved by Jesus. Even somebody like you can be saved by Jesus. The question that we need to ask is though is, is like this, what, what made this man turn back? And it's faith, that's the answer. Faith is what made this man turn back and not the rest of the men who were healed that day. Jesus says, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. The word well here is not, it's clearly not a reference to uh, him being healed of the leprosy because all of the men were healed of their leprosy. In fact, this word well is the word in the New Testament that is most, tra- most often translated saved. It's the word that is used for this big idea of salvation. That those who become Christians get to become uh, children of God. They get access to God. They, they enter into a relationship with God. They have their sins forgiven and they look forward, as I've already said, to an eternity in heaven. And so what Jesus says here is that your faith is, has saved you. Your faith has allowed for you to become a Christian. Notice the difference between the other nine and this man. The other nine believed that Jesus had the ability to do miracles, but this man apparently understood that Jesus had the ability to save him from his sin and for eternity. I think there's a lot of people who really like the idea of Jesus because they they think that Jesus makes their lives a little bit better. They think that Jesus you know, provides for them. They think that Jesus takes care of them. But, but none of that really matters if we fail to understand that Jesus is the one who saves and if we fail to place our faith in him because he is the one who saves. And, and the reason that Jesus expresses this, like this is the man who has faith, What demonstrates that for us is that he is the one who comes back to be thankful, to offer thanks. He is the one who comes back to praise. Here's kind of the big idea of this morning for those of you who are Christians. To live out your faith is to give God praise. To live out your faith is to give God praise. We believe, I think the Bible teaches, I think God would say this is true That the purpose of life is to glorify God. The purpose of life is to give God glory. Our church exists, in fact, and we say this a lot, our church exists to help you experience and express God's glory. And we do this because we believe that this is the reason that we exist, that you exist. That is the reason that humanity exists is to experience and express the glory of God. But the reality is, while all people are created to do that, only people who place their faith in Jesus will, living, will willingly and intentionally live out this purpose. 
Jonathan Edwards, after describing holiness and how we should strive for holiness, says, and then it must be considered wherein this holiness in the creature consists, mainly in love, which is the comprehension of all true virtue and primarily in love to God, which is exercised in a high esteem of God, admiration of his perfections, complacency in them, and praise of them. All which things are nothing else but the heart exulting, exalting, magnifying, or glorifying God. The aim of humanity is to glorify the God who created us. That's the word praise there actually means glorify. This guy glorifies God in a loud voice and he falls at Jesus' feet, which is really an expression of worship. He thanks Jesus and then he and then Jesus speaks of this man praising or glorifying God. And, and then we see that faith is what made it all the difference in this man's life. Faith is what made this man glorify God. I think it's interesting that all ten of these men cried out to God in a loud voice asking Jesus. They all cried out in a loud voice asking Jesus to heal them. But only one cries out in a loud voice thanking Jesus. And it's the one who chooses to enter into a relationship with God through faith, through faith. The New International Commentary in the New Testament says, the other nine are so selfishly taken up by their cure that they do not even take the trouble of turning back to him out of gratitude. And I think this is true for too many people that call themselves Christians today. We are so taken up with the cure we are so taken up with what God can give us, what God provides for us, with what God will give us in eternity. We're so taken up with what God can do for us that we hardly ever remember to glorify Him. We hardly ever remember to even thank Him for what He has done in our lives. But that is not what it means to live out our faith. If we are Christians, if we have come into a faith in God through Jesus, then to live out that faith is to do our best to live all of our lives in, in the effort to experience and express the glory of God. And a huge part of that is simply saying thank you to God for what he is doing in us. The New American Commentary on the New Testament again says, He who received only blessings from his hand and does not come close to him in humble but heartfelt gratitude will always forego what is the highest and most glorious in life. But he who on receiving gifts out of his hands turns to the giver himself in real gratitude will partake of fullness of life and happiness. There is nothing that can bind one more closely to him, God, than sincere gratitude we love him because he first loved us i just wonder if like we we just cried out this more frequently if it would be you know radi- it would make a radical change in our lives thankfulness thankfulness is what i long for thankfulness is what i need thankfulness thankfulness is what you want from me we live in difficult times right I mean, this is, there's a lot of struggles going on, a lot of loneliness, a lot of fear, a lot of financial need, just a lot of struggle all around us. And, 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 I, and I find that when struggle comes, it's, it's difficult to be thankful. 
And maybe as I preach this morning to you, maybe your your thoughts turn to this just e- this question. It'd be so it's an easy question right now. Like how how can I be thankful with what's going on in the world? But as Christians, as people of faith, we believe in such glorious things that there is no time in this short physical existence that we call life that we should not be thankful i mean we believe that the god of the universe just to state it one more time cared so deeply about us that he came from the glories of heaven to live on this earth and we believe he did it so that we could have access to him enter into a relationship with him even be called his sons and daughters and we believe that in eternity we will have no more sorrow or pain or suffering or hurt or brokenness or fear or failure all of it will be wiped away and we'll live in the perfections of heaven And so no matter what we face in this measly little life, we must turn back to God, turn to God like this man who who was healed of leprosy, and we must do our best to glorify him, especially and specifically when it comes to just saying thank you. And so no matter how bad you think life is, no matter how bad it is for you right now, I would encourage you, I would encourage you to spend time every single day, not just on Thanksgiving, every single day, thanking God for the things that he has done in your life. Because to live a life of faith is to live a life of thanks. Let me pray that you will live that life. Lord Jesus, I thank you for all that you have done for me, God. Some of the things that I love in life, that I like in life, have, have been taken, you know, in the last five months, Lord. Some of the things that, that I enjoy doing, I have not been able to do, God, but there are still so many blessings. And Lord, even if you took away every blessing, even if you took everything from me like you did, uh, allowed for everything to be taken from me like you did, God, uh, with Job, Lord, that you uh, that you tell us about in your word, even if, even if God, all, uh, even if my children were to die, even if my wife was to reject me and even if god my health failed me lord i would hope that i would fall on my knees and praise you god because you are still the giver of eternal life you are still the one who gives me hope in eternity lord i pray that god we as a church would be a church that just glorifies you lord we we would be a church that thanks you for the gifts that we have lord even even if we have to wait for eternity to see them, Lord. I pray that each of us, God, who are people of faith would live lives of faith by being people who thank you, God, and who glorify you. God, for the people who are watching online, for the people in front of me right now who aren't Christians, who have not turned back in faith, Lord, I pray that today they would become Christians, God. And maybe some of those people have felt, God, like maybe they're not good enough. Maybe they didn't grow up in the right homes. Maybe they think that Christianity is for people of a different nationality or a different race, God, uh, a different background. I pray, God, that all of those excuses would fall away in light of this story and they would commit themselves to you. They would enter into a faith in you. And this morning they would thank you for their newfound salvation, Lord. I pray, God, that all people who are watching online and all people who are sitting in front of me today would, God, live a life of thanks because they want to live a life of faith. And I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.